One more passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 through 24. As we turn there, you can think about Enoch. I read what Calvin said about Enoch. Can you imagine everybody looking for Enoch? He was there and then he wasn't there. They looked all over for him. But something else is beyond this world. There's a heaven beyond this world. And God took him without death. Let's read. I'm going to read to you Philippians 2, verses 17 through 24. But even if, Paul says, I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I hear of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For, you, for they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I have hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. The word of the Lord. Now, now last week, we, I gave you three important purposes that Good Shepherd Orthodox Presbyterian Church should be in harmony or at peace. Now, I'm only going to remind you of two. We said there was a penultimate purpose. Now, you know, like I said, anytime I find a word like that, I'm going to say it because it grabs people's attention. What in the world does that mean? I mean, people who, who know piano and organ, they know what it means. The second to the last syllable, right, in a word. The second to the last uh, note in a song. What's the second to the last important reason for harmony in the church? And the apostle informs it's for our sakes. Why do we work in Christian character and work out non-Christian character? It's for our sake. Why do we work in obedience and we said blamelessness and innocence? And why are we to work into our hearts and minds the fact that we're children of God and we're to be above reproach in this world? Why are we working out grumbling and disputing why are we working those things out and working some things in well it's it's for our sake it's so that we can sit down and have coffee with each other and enjoy doing it the ultimate purpose for unity or harmony in our church is for the world's sake so here we are we're sitting down and we're drinking coffee and we're having our time in our Bible studies and our fellowship but don't think the world doesn't take note of the fact that we don't get along they watch. They know when we're not getting along. They know when we don't forgive and, and walk away and work things out. They know it. They're watching. And so it's vitally important that we get along with each other at the coffee table so that we can stand out, we said last week, in this world and shine in to this world. We said also that we must hold fast to the word of life so that we can hold forth this word to a watching world. And last week, of course, the Apostle Paul told us this world is a generation that's crooked and perverse. So the Word of God, it tells us, 
that God is at, is, has, takes great pleasure to bring this harmony about for our sakes and for the sake of the world. And there's many encouragements. Uh, I, I, try not, I try not to give too many of these, but there's many encouragements that God gives us. Remember chapter 2, verse 12. God's at work in you, both to will and to work. Man, I like that verse. And we see in Philippians 1, 6, God begins the work in you, continues the work until the day of Christ Jesus. I like that verse. In Philippians 4, 19, he says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And I, I like that verse. <laughs> but then I kind of sit there and go, does this, does, this, does this stuff really happen? Does this really work out? Is there anybody besides Jesus in whom this really did uh, work out? It all seems so impossible to me. Before we walked in here, we, in, we go in here and we pray. And the first thing, <laughs> you know, the first thing I said to the men, I says, why is this so hard? <laughs> why are things so hard, right? Is there, is there somebody besides Jesus that we can look at who really pulled this off? And there are. Paul's going to give us people here, three examples, who were lights in this world. They're, they weren't perfect like Jesus. <laughs> They're imperfect like you and like me. And we can look at these men and we can see that they were genuine lights in their churches and in the world. Now, we come to verses 17 through 30 in chapter 2, and it's sort of a break in the letter. We're going to move from Jesus. We're going to talk about three men. But the first person that he puts in front of us is chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 16. And that's all about Christ and telling us about Christ being our example, the model that we are to follow of our obedience. It looks like John 13. Now, instead of preaching John 13, Philippians 2 looks like John 13. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one who comes from heaven. He puts on this human flesh and he comes not to be served, but to serve. And he gives himself up as a ransom for many. And what he does here in doing that, he goes to the point all the way to death. He's willing to obey all the way to the point of death. And we love to hear that. But now the apostle is going to give us three inspired examples. And we see these examples in verse 17 and 18. That's the apostle. Then verses 19 through 24, that's going to be Timothy. And then in verses 25 through 30, that's Epaphroditus. Say Epaphroditus three times fast and see how good you are. Now, these three men are taking seriously the command given in verse 5. Look, but look back at verse 5 in chapter 2. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here he gives us three men who are taking this very seriously. Now, before Jesus goes to the cross, this is what he prayed. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. And now we're going to have placed in front of us three men who are consecrating themselves to this truth we find in verse 5. They will set themselves apart to God in answer to Jesus' prayers. That would be another sermon. Today I want you to see how we are to imitate the apostles' Christ-like humility. We're going to imitate the apostles' Christ-like humility. For the apostle, the Lord Jesus Christ, he had become everything. 
Remember on the road to Damascus, he's going to arrest Christians. He's going to persecute those who follow Jesus Christ. And he is on his way and he's confronted by Christ. And now, after praying that prayer, he hears the gospel from Ananias. He calls on the name of the Lord. He's repenting. He puts on Jesus Christ and he goes out. What's he do? The first thing he does, he begins to preach. (laughs) He begins to preach. He's found the pearl of great price. He's going to take and push aside everything that he's held very dear and special. And he's going to hold on to Jesus Christ to that bitter end. And now we are 30 years in this writing, this letter, 30 years from that experience, and look what he's still doing. Look who he's still holding on to. What will, what will you look like at the end compared to the beginning? This man still loves the person that found him. What are you going to look like in the end? You know, tonight, this is a site, this is a little commercial. You know, when you start looking at Saul at the end of his life in chapter 31 of 1 Samuel, and you compare him to the beginning, it's a big difference. Big difference. What am I going to look like in the end? This guy, this guy, he finds Jesus Christ. He doesn't let go. This is a dog with a bone, never going to let him go. And you go look at what it says about Moses. Moses, in the first 40 years of his life in in Pharaoh's Egypt, he had everything. And then for 40 years in the desert, he had nothing. And for the next 40 years, he found out that God was everything. And that's what the Apostle Paul has found. He he finds Jesus is big. He's small. So here we are. We have some evidence of the Apostle's Christ-like humility. Number one, it comes to us by implication. I love this. I love this. This is something I want you to be thinking about as you read your Bible. Look at how much is written about a person, how much is not written about somebody else. Have you ever thought about why is there so many chapters on Joseph in Genesis? Well, there's a reason. The emphasis. So Paul is going to speak very little about himself, 17 and 18. And he's going to speak six verses about Timothy. He's going to speak six verses about Epaphroditus, but two verses about himself. And if you go look at those two verses, in those two verses, he's really talking about other people. (laughs) Implication. The implication. This man wrote half the New Testament. This man has two PhDs in, in equivalent to our day's PhDs, and he writes this many words about himself and this many words about these two other men. This is humility. By implication, we're going to see this in a minute as we apply. Not only do we see this, he reveals Christ-like humility by seeing himself of little importance. Look at verse 17. But even if, if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Now the words poured out and drink offering and sacrifice and service of your faith. What that does is that brings us back to this idea of a sacrifice. Now, when a person brings a sacrifice, they bring it for themselves. It represents them. It represents their faith. They bring that sacrifice for them. And it's a picture of them giving themselves to God. And at the end, this sacrifice is burning on the altar. At the end of a sacrificial system here, they would take a a cup of wine and pour it out, the drink offering, on top of the burning sacrifice. And it would go up like this. Just, it'd be gone. And here, what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. You Philippians are the ones who have brought the sacrifice. Well, what kind of sacrifice did they bring? Well, they opened up their... Here, let's see here. They opened up their ridge wallets. 
They opened up their wallets and they started giving money. And then they gave their minister, his name is Epaphroditus, and they sent the man with the money all the way to this prison where he was. This is the sacrifice. This is the service. It's theirs. And he says, that's the significant thing, the the sacrifice that you've done. And I am just a drink offering. I'm just drink I'm poured out on top of this burning flesh, and I'm just a puff of smoke. What you are doing is significant. What I am doing is just of very little importance compared to what you have done. You've given me your man, and you sent me your money. He also reveals Christ-like humility by his submission to the Lord. Look at verse 17. If there's anything we, ought to, we need to get out of this sermon, it's this. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. In his confinement <laughs> with his leaky pipes, right? With his problems, he's full of joy. In fact, he says the word four times. He's submitting to the Lord. I'm being poured out. If I die, I'm being poured out. If they let me go, I'm going to be poured out for you. If I stay in this prison between these two guys I'm chained to, and surely they stink, I'm going to be okay. I'm submitted to the Lord. I am the Lord's tool. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. It's so hard. Like yesterday when I'm talking to my friend and he tells me he has ALS, I'm looking at him, on the, I mean, I'm talking to him on the phone, and I'm saying, you're right where you're supposed to be. And we talked about having hamburgers and crying. Joy and sorrow, they go together in this life, do they not? I'm going to be poured out and spent for you if I die. I'm going to be poured out and spent for you if I stay in prison. I'm going to be poured out and spent for you if I get to come to see you. One way or the other, I'm going to be joyful. Whatever my God ordains is right. Well, let's make some applications. Consider talking less about yourself and encouraging others more. The apostle is really great at this. He's commending these men. He's complimenting them, these men, and he says very little about himself. He's a puff of smoke compared to them. Look at Timothy, he says, and I'll just, just listen to this. In verses 19 through 24, Timothy is, there's no one else of kindred spirit. I remember one time I did a sermon on a, on a wedding, and I looked at the girl and I said, you know, do you want a guy that no one else is like? Timothy said, there's no one like this guy. Timothy, he's great. No one like this guy will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Timothy, his devotion is to Christ. Timothy, proven character. Timothy, serve me. Timothy, like a son in service with me. He talks about Epaphroditus in verse 25. My brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger, your minister to my need. Hold men like this in high regard. He risked his life for the sake of of the gospel. Words are very important that we speak. Words are very important that we write. What are we doing with our words? Isn't it easy to toot our own horns? 
I mean, man, we can get to talking about ourselves. We can get to talking about our plans. We can get to talking about our vacation. We get to talking about our stuff. And we can forget the persons even there in front of us that we're talking to. I hope God grabs hold of you and won't let you do that. You know, like this worship service we have, there's this dialogue going on, isn't there? And there should be a dialogue going on between you and your friend. And the apostle, he's not getting carried away with himself, but he's commending and complimenting others. And he gives them opportunity to speak. Right? Ephesians 4.29, he says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. We had a sermon back on Easter uh, last year. Man, I'm sitting there last year. In Luke 24, 13 through 24, you remember this? Remember what happens? These two Emmaus disciples, they leave Jerusalem. They're on their way home. They're downcast. Their heads are down. they got seven miles to, to walk. And all they can do is talk about Jesus and the fact that he died. And they thought he was going to set them free from Rome. They're really down. And this guy walks up. And they don't know who it is, but it's Jesus. He doesn't let them recognize him. He says, what are you talking about? They act like he's crazy. Don't you know that, that this person, Jesus, came and he died? And we thought he was going to be our Savior from Rome. He, Jesus lets them talk it all out. He lets them really get it out. And then you know what he does? He builds them up. He says, let me talk to you about the law. And let me talk to you about the Psalms. And let me talk to you about the prophets. And let me build you up. And by the time the thing's over, their hearts are hot on fire with the word of God. He has built them up. He's explained the word to them. He breaks the bread and they recognize who he is and he vanishes away. But he gave them opportunity to talk. What am I doing with my words? Am I commending people? Am I complimenting others? What am I doing with my pen? When people are done talking to me, are they stronger or weaker? Are they helped or are they hurt by what I have to say? Young people, you know, one of the things that's real tempting for young people to do is this. We go home and we say stuff like this. Uh, we make all these hard and cutting jokes to a, to a brother or a sister, and then we say this, only kidding. Only kidding, but it hurts. And the apostle tells us back there in Ephesians 4.29 that we should speak words only that are good for that moment. Speak words that are give, giving grace to the hearer. Speak words that are good for edification. Follow the apostle Paul's Christ-like humility in commending and helping and building others up. Also, think about the joy of submission to the Lord. Listen to that. The joy of what? (laughs) The joy of submission to the Lord. So here he is. You know, folks, listen. This man's a real man. You know, I was sitting there studying about Joseph one day, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, Joseph didn't really want to stay in this prison. And Paul didn't really want to stay hooked up in this prison. He really wanted out. He really could do with, with not being there. And, and yet at the same time, we find him not looking at the pain of it all, not looking at the stench of it all, not looking at the connectedness to two special ops praetorian guards. But he's full of joy and he's thinking about other folks, Timothy Epaphroditus and the Philippian church, their gift and so on. If you sat down today and you wrote out 10 things by hand to thank God for, your circumstances would not have changed. 
but your heart would change. If you opened your Bible up today and you read your Bible and you wrote something really sweet and tender and helpful to a friend, your circumstances, your pipes, your, your house is not going to be fixed, Brian, not yet. But your heart would be changed. You will be encouraged as you invest in the lives of others. Now, um, there's some really great stuff about Eric Liddell that I never knew about. But we all think about Chariots of Fire came out in 1980. What a wonderful show. Probably seen it 50 times. It's really good. But when he left the 1924 Olympic Games, he had his 400-meter gold medal in his hand, a bronze medal in his hand on the 200 meters. He graduated college. He studied theology for a year, and he spoke all around for about a year. In 1925, he went to the China missionary to be a missionary in China with his parents. He eventually got married. He taught science classes, conducted Bible studies, and he worked on his Chinese language skills. Then Japan invaded China, and Eric took his wife and his children and went to Canada for a period of time, and then they decided they would go back to China, and he saw how dangerous it was, so he sent his wife back, he sent the girls back, and he stayed to be a missionary pastor in the village. Now the rest of the time, while he's there, he's doing this work, and then they took all the missionaries, they took all the small children and put them in an internment camp, and he is now in an internment camp with 300 small people, with 300 kids. His wife and his two daughters and that little one that was on the way, he would never see them. He died in 1945 with a brain tumor. For all those years, he was with 300 other kids. What would he do? Well, listen to what his, his, his uh, daughter wrote. In the later years, this is what she said of her father. I have met a lot of those children in that camp. The same age as we were, and they were put in the camp without their parents. We were safe in Canada. And these children did not have their parents, and most of them have done very well. And my father made a great influence and steadiness on their lives. Now that is fabulous. What did he do? What did he do with all those children? He could have been sitting there going, I want to see my wife, and I want to see my new kid, and my, you know, I want to see my stuff. I want to be with But he gave himself to 300 plus kids, and she was glad for it. She submitted to all of this. She didn't have her daddy for four years, but she was so glad that her daddy had been left there for those children. What am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my money? The apostle, he gives him, he's poured out for the Philippian church. Eric Liddell is poured out for these little children. Jesus Christ pours himself out on the cross to save us. What will I do with my life? How will I spend my life? Well, that's the apostles' humility. Let's also very more quickly look at the imitate Timothy's Christ likeness. He says there that word, for I have no one of kindred spirit. What a word. No one's like this guy. With I can't describe anybody in more high terms than this. He's like sold. He shares the same goals. He has the same desires. You remember Paul said, for me to live is Christ. He's saying for Timothy to live is Christ. 
This man is single-minded when it comes to Christ. And now he gives evidence. He says, Timothy will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now that word genuinely concerned is a fantastic word. Painstakingly concerned for their welfare. Not forced, not artificial, but genuine. He is, he does have the mind of Christ and he's seeking to be concerned for these Philippians. You remember that passage in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus looks at Martha and says, you're worried and bothered about so many things? This is the word. Timothy is worried and he is bothered about the Philippians, but without sin. He's excessively concerned for them. There's a story, I just read this this week about Jacob. And I was reminded, you know, Jacob's the trickster. Jacob's the conniver. Jacob's the deceiver. But there's one thing we can really recommend uh, in regard to Jacob. You know what Jacob was really good at? He was good at lying, right? (laughs) He was really good at taking care of sheep. Really, really good at it. And so when he leaves Laban, Laban pursues him. And Laban reproaches him for taking all his flocks. And this is how he defends himself in Genesis 31, 38. He says this, These 20 years, Laban, I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. Why not? Because he's taken care of them. And the, the sheep that I have now with me, the flocks that are now with me, I have not taken them from you. I have not stolen them. What is he arguing? I'm, I've been a good shepherd. I've taken care of these animals. And later on he sees Esau and Esau wants his brother to hurry to the place where he was staying. And this is what he says. He says, I, if I drive my children, if I drive my sheep and my flocks, even one day they'll die. You go on ahead of me and we will come at our leisure. That's Timothy. Timothy's a shepherd. Timothy doesn't drive people. Timothy's soft and tender with people. Timothy thinks about others more than he thinks about himself. Men, listen, we have to ask ourselves a question. How do we handle our family? This is is really important. Do we drive them? Do we drive them or are we tender? You know, one of the biggest temptations, men, that we face, we come home from work and we land in our driveway and there's a decision we have to make. Am I going to drive my kids or am I going to be tender? Because see, here's what I want to do. This is the temptation every day, every day. When I walk in the door, it's I want to do my thing. And so what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll get my Bible out and I'll hurry through this. I'm going to hurry through the Bible reading. I'm going to hurry through the prayer time just to be able to dot the I's and cross the T's and check the box so I can get to doing my stuff. That's just got to go away. You got to land on the, on that pad there in your driveway, and you got to say, "God, help me not to be a driver, but help me be tender, and help me to be a shepherd in my home. Help me to be a person getting a PhD in taking care of my kids and soft with my kids, and not a PhD at the uni, as they would say in New Zealand. I go to the uni, Pastor Wheat. Oh, okay. Well, they call me Reverend there. What are we getting our PhD in? Timothy also seeks Christ's interest. Verse 21, For they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ. So go back to verse 4 in chapter 2. Remember, we're to look out not only for our own interest, but for the interest of others. And that is Timothy, Paul is saying. He's worried about others. And you and I, we should imitate 
his concern for others. Not me first. Phyllis, not me first, Phyllis. <laughs> we know we're teasing. Not me first. Not my reputation first. You know, this is another one of those facts. I'm telling y'all, this Eric Liddell story just gets better. In 2012, you know what they found out? They found out there was a, a prisoner exchange to take place between Japan and uh, Great Britain. And he was to be exchanged and brought home before he died. And they told his family that he saw a pregnant woman not on the list and he gave his place up to her. Well, what do you expect? <laughs> what do you expect from this man? What do you expect from somebody who puts the interest of others ahead of their own? This is what we do when we follow Timothy's Christ-like concerns. Well, Timothy also was committed to work with others. Notice verse 22. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me. In the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Who's the first person Timothy worked with? Have you ever traced out Timothy's life? The first person Timothy ever worked with was the Apostle Paul. He wasn't a novice. He was in his 30s. He's not inexperienced because he worked with the Apostle Paul for many years. The Apostle Paul finds this man. He's a, he became a Christian. Remember his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice taught him the Bible. He became a Christian. <laughs> And then Paul sees him. He's spoken well of by other people. So Paul takes him and basically the apostle adopts him to be his son. So we've got a son and a father. We've got a, a man who needs to be disciple and one who can do it. We've got a trainee and a trainer. And this is all happening. And they love each other. And this church in Philippi, they know about him because he was with Paul. But this is the key thing. You know of his proven worth, that he served with me, not that he served, served me. He served with me, not, not served me. Sometimes we daddies would say, my son served me. But the Apostle Paul says he served with me. We worked together. And so as we come to the conclusion, Timothy's commitment is to work with others, and we're to imitate that. Can you imagine, here's this guy in his 30s, here's this guy probably close to his, right, in his 60s. Can you imagine one of them saying, I want to be independent of that old man. Can you imagine the older man going, I have rank on you. But they didn't, they didn't do that. They could have split over jealousy and misunderstandings and differences in direction, but we have a son who loves the father and a father who loves the son. Now, folks, look, it's totally impossible that these two guys didn't have a disagreement. Is that human? Do you have disagreements, Steve, with your wife? I do. But we get it right. Can you imagine these guys not having a problem? I can't imagine that they didn't have a problem, but they were two human beings submitted to the will of God and they worked together. And young people, listen as we close the sermon. Do you understand that God has made it such that you have parents? God wants you to be in a family. God wants you to be in a church with a minister and session and old people. Old people who know stuff. He's put you in their lives so that they can help you and train you. And you want to rebel sometimes, but don't. See this as, look at Timothy. Look what he did to his father, his spiritual father. 
the Apostle Paul. Look at what they did. Look at how they did this stuff together. Don't rebel, but serve with your parents, fathers and mothers and authorities. It's our duty to train our Timothys. Sessions and minister, it's our duty to train our folks. Mentor them. Yes, we are to uh, set boundaries for our children. There's no doubt about that. You are the parent. Don't, don't forget that. But as you do that, say things like this. Follow Christ with me. Do this with me. Read the Bible with me. Pray with me. Go to church with me. Obey the Lord Jesus Christ with me. Submit to Jesus with me. Hold fast to the word of life with me. When fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, when they work together, when they accept their God-ordained roles, the church is beautiful. The church is a light. Like we said last week, it's going to stand out and shine into the world in Christ and His gospel will be advanced. Imitate Christ-like examples. Imitate the humility of the Apostle Paul and imitate this Christ-like concern that Timothy had for his father in the faith. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you and we acknowledge that we do need these examples. We do need the Apostle Paul to show us an example of humility and we do need him to show us this example of Timothy's concern for others. And we do need to know that your Holy Spirit works these things in our lives as your people. And so we pray that you will help us as we go through this day, Lord, to be filled with your Spirit and to love each other and love you and know that these things can happen, not not perfectly, but, Lord, truly and really. And strengthen us for it. And may we be the light you want us to be in this place. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.